Welcome back to Arts About. A show about art that's a work of art in itself. Good morning, Mark. Good and morning, John. Good morning, Sally. How lovely to see you both again this week. Mm. Yep. You are here, listeners, with us uh, bringing you Arts About, which is also brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here in the Artable Peace Studios with Artist-in-Residence and Cultural Sounding Board, John Baird, the obtuse and always surprising Mark Stewart, and me, Sally Bailey, to uh, chew the fat again, once again this week. Mm. What are you going to be going on about this week, John? Uh, I'm sort of interested in, you know how people... Uh, sometimes look like they're pets. Yes. Oh, yes. That um, is the weirdest a, phenomena. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to know whether or not you think people behave like their paintings, you know, whether you can look oh. at a painting and tell what that artist is, what kind of person that artist is. I thought you were going to start talking about George. George who? Is that your dog's name? No, no, my dog's name's not George. My dog's Blackie. Oh, Blackie, Blackie yes. yes. Well, Blackie I can, I can talk about Blackie if you like. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it would be much. And this is all. This is all launching off having looked at um, Robert Hunter's show at Fed Square. Ah, yeah. And I was looking at. So you're white. Yeah, I was looking at his exhibition and thinking, well, the paintings, the works really are quite a lot like Robert. Very constrained. Very quiet. Very calm. Very, um, you know, polite. That's the sort of person Great. he was. Yes, he was. But do you know what? I think there was there was an under, uh, like a completely contained fury in him as well. Well, you could you could if you looked closely. I reckon you can <laughs> see it in those paintings too. Yeah. That's right. Mm. Oh, fabulous! Well, that's good. I'll be interested in that. And what about you, Mark? What have you been uh, up to this well, week? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about little bits about the field exhibition, which we've oh, all yes. seen. I think. And, yes. Um, uh, I'm going to talk about the stars as well, not can, but uh, up in the sky. Star oh, astro- astronomical galaxies, stars. Yes, yes. Uh, a little bit. And um, I might mention Donald Trump. Who I think, oh, what uh, the hell? We haven't had him on for a while, him for have a while. we? The Donald. Um, what's going on in North Korea is fascinating compared to what people were worried about uh, after all those tweets that he was sending. But yes. it seems like his method, there's a little bit of method to his madness. <laughs> Okay, yeah, well. his, his method is to um, get the world teetering on the edge of disaster and then saving it. Yeah, I think he imagines well, himself uh, in a cape, don't you? I think mm. We've often said this. You know, it's like the, uh, I don't think it was quite the same as the um, uh, Cold War with you know, Reagan and, and uh, Soviet Union or with um, Kennedy. I mean, they've all been at it, haven't they? Yes. Well, the Donald was fond of insulting a man with his finger on the button. Mm. And now well, making friends with him. Yeah, I know. It's just swings and roundabouts. Hey, um, big congratulations, of course, because there's been a lot of prizes this week. Um, Yvette oh, Rock yeah. Coppersmith for her Archibald win with her self portrait. Yes. Yukajupi, uh, I'm going to say this completely wrong. Yukulchi Napangati, who won the win prize. Um, and also Kayleen Whiskey winning the Silman Prize. Yeah, yeah there we better be talking Do about that. Do you want to that. talk about it? Not just now. I don't think we've got time. And also the Israeli singing Neta Bazali, who won the Eurovision Song Contest. She's the Israeli. Uh, and, uh, can, you, can you really stand listening to any of these people? In songs, it, it was, it's always hard work listening to Has the, she got um, a beard? Eurovision, but a lot of people love it. <laughs> no, she hasn't got a beard. That was Conchita. Conchita. <laughs> Whatever happens to these people afterwards, that's what I'm like Oh, they know. go on to huge careers. Do they? Oh, yes. Oh, they, my oh, God. Yeah, no, I never, haven't seen a beard guy around much. 
Hopefully I don't see Yvette Coppersmith around too much either, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, now this week, late, a little bit later on, we're going to be talking to Andrew Hayes-Winkle about, the, about his exhibition, What the Sea Never Told, which is on at the NPRG and raises questions about what might have happened to the 15 young men who in 1952 went on a football trip to Mordialloc and didn't come back. Fifth, no, not 1952. 1852. 18, yeah. I'm t- I'm, yes, I'm quite bad with that. I'm, yeah. I mix up my think centuries. I don't think it's 1852 either, is it? Yeah, it's about 120 years. Oh, that's it was very early years. on. It was yes. very early on. Yeah. 18, no, it wasn't. You're right. It was 1892. Yeah. That sounds, okay. That's better. Sounds more like 1852 it, yeah. was Eugene von anyway, Gerard. they all died. Okay, yeah. they all died. Yeah. yeah. And there were three sons from one family, the Caldwells, I saw, which was, just must have been a Yeah, shocking. It's a shocking story. But um, mm. we, there's an artist who has created a multimedia um, piece. Which is quite beautiful, actually. Yes, the, which we're going to talk to him. Except when it's working, then you get vertigo. Oh, really? Where did, how did you get vertigo? Uh, looking at the screen, it was because it's so close up. The the oh, you're a you're, delicate thing, aren't yeah. you? Mark? I am a delicate thing. I'm sure <laughs> Andrew just kicked me out and said, "You go else, go elsewhere." Mm. Okay. <laughs> Um, next Sunday, too, on the 27th at St. John's in Flinders, the internationally acclaimed guitarist Matthew Fagan, who we've had him on the show before, is going to be playing alongside another internationally acclaimed musician, pianist Nicholas Young, to celebrate the spirit of Spain in El Vito. It's uh, the uh, world first that you are bringing together traditional flamenco elements and piano concert masterpieces in very new arrangements. Uh, we've got two tickets to give away to that oh. show. Uh, which Mark is, and I. You, well, <laughs> it's going to go to the first person who inbox me, who Facebook messages me, uh, and that's for the following weekend. So we're going to listen to that right now, the, this, or a song that is going to be the single um, that they're releasing on that um, at this particular performance. So have a listen to this, and we'll be coming back with... John On, I think. Oh, good. Yeah. And now it's time for John, John On. Thank you, Echoing Voice. I was in the uh, Robert Hunter show the other day and uh, I had come from, I'd walked down through the city, um, down through the lane opposite Fed Square. I think it's Hosier Lane or something. It's got all the graffiti in it. Yep. And... The crowds in there... Unbelievable. I, I was just there myself. The crowds were phenomenal. There were just so many people in there. I had to patiently make my way through the crowd. It was like being at the Melbourne show or what something. What were they doing there? Looking taking at the graffiti self, well, and taking, taking selfies photographs. mostly. And I had a bit of a glance around, and I'm, I, I am in fact aware of the fact that what Hosea Lane is is a... A vehicle for people who would like to become artists, well-known artists, and so they put their work up on the wall in Hosier Lane and in the hope that uh, it'll sort of get some traction for them. On social media. That's what well, do. however, you no, know. No, no, that's how they work. So, All these street artists. Sorry to interrupt on yeah. uh, again. No, that's, that's fine, Mark. I'm happy to... for you <laughs> to interrupt. <laughs> the, all the um, street artists, I've, I've realised quite quickly... Uh, quite soon, is that they, they, their work is all about putting it up on the internet. Up on, they've got these sites for street artists, and they all comment on each other. Right. And it's all about you know, showing where you know, how difficult it is to get to the spot, etc., etc. So this is why when they get painted over, they don't care because they've already got their images up. On right. Them. Well, it's a uh, as far as I could tell, it's an advertising billboard for artists who are looking for traction. However, they broadcast it. Uh, that's mm. what they're doing. And attracting a huge amount of attention, mm. just a massive amount of attention. And I made my way through there into Fed Square, upstairs to the Robert Hunter Show, 
No one, mm. not a not a soul in the. I place. did exactly the same thing. Obviously, we obviously walked the same track. Right. Yeah. Did either of you go to the Anna Swartz Gallery in Flinders Lane? No. What's there? on there? I don't know. That's oh. I, was, I was asking you. No, we didn't. No. No. Okay. Probably, no, and I don't generally. Probably just one black jelly bean in the middle of oh, the Oh, look, I gave up the Anna Schwartz Gallery when I went in there one day and there was like the uh, the chest of drawers in the corner with the three drawers open and two shut and some <laughs> underpants laying on the floor. Somebody had been to one of Tracy Edmonds' exhibitions. <laughs> <laughs> look, Anna does some very important stuff. Robert I Hunter. Agree, actually, Mark. Sorry? I agree, Mark. Mm. Mm. Robert Hunter, okay. um, who... Um, I used to have a beer with occasionally in the Swan Hotel in Richmond. Uh, as I was saying earlier, he uh, he was kind of a bit like his paintings. You know, he was he was calm and polite, and uh, as Sally pointed out, with an undercurrent of danger. Yes, um, I used to lust after him a little bit when I was quite you? young. Yes, in Talano Galleries, I yeah. think he had early exhibitions on in there. They may have been. I can't remember what year it was. It would have been early eighties. Nearly all of his work was. Um, because he was so young when he was um, part of the field exhibition, he was, I think, 19 years old or something, most of his work uh, throughout his life went to public collections and very little of it went to private collections. Mm. There is some out in private collections, but most of it was collected publicly. And he used to say, well, they've all got one or two of them now. I won't be able to sell any more. And uh, But it wasn't true. They kept acquiring them. But I was wondering, can you tell what sort of person is behind a painting? I mean, you know, Adam Cullen was a person I also knew. Do you know Adam Cullen's paintings, Mark? Uh, very dry. You know, like a fanged kangaroo with blood dripping out of uh, its mouth. Oh. No, no, I don't. No, I was, I was thinking of someone That's else. That's memorable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam was exactly like that. He was kind of completely nuts. He was a crazy person. David Larwell, there's that sort of sense of fun and joie yeah. de vivre in his paintings, which was very much joie what he did. Joie yeah. de vivre. That he's, it was very much the way he yeah. lived and his life. And the larrikin was in there as well. Yeah. Mm. So I wonder how deeply that goes, how thoroughly you can, you know, my own paintings probably tell well, a story about yes. me, you know, a gorgeous man. A gorgeous man, a quiet gentleman, <laughs> a thinker. Right. I, look, it's interesting because I know um, I don't know Robert Hunter at all. I, I know that he does white paintings. Mm. Has Did he, always, he, he died he, a couple died. of years ago? Not yes. only white paintings. There are there are grid patterns on various materials. The the ones that I like myself are almost entirely white in high gloss. Yes, and it's almost just the nap of them that shows the big circles. Is they that, are they the of, ones that you're talking about? They have bits of cotton stuck onto the front of the white cotton oh, yes. to define yes. the shapes. My my big question is. Was he um, aware, he must have been aware of Robert Ryman? Absolutely, was, of course right. he was. And yeah. there's this uh, famous in France, Polish painter, uh, French, who does numbers and uh, letters in white on white on on canvas. And right. he's up to, I don't know what bloody number he's up to. Now, oh, he's just like he's going in going numerical on on. order. Yeah. Oh, that's boring. Every day. Doing yeah. and, and photographing himself every day. So you can see this sort of... Um, decline. Well, he, he would seem to be a self-indulgent sort of person. You could. Uh, well, I could say the same thing about Robert Hunter. Really? Yeah. I, I don't mean, think so. I think that he was attached to the concept of quiet beauty. 
And I could just as easily defend the Polish French painter <laughs> for his um, sure you inner could. beauty and bliss. I don't know what he was getting, but it was yeah. it seemed to be working. Right. But at the end, uh, they were just white paintings. What about Picasso? You know, can you sort of define Picasso's personality as a result of looking at his da- pictures? I, I think it's a dangerous. We already go. know about him. I know so, this is yeah. the problem. We, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's like that woman Nikki Grimmel who writes in the Australian who was talking about um, Picasso and. When she sees his paintings of crying women, she gets really upset and wants to put him onto the wants hashtag to MeToo campaign because right. he was uh, abusing women. So, you know, we've got to be careful how we interpret people's paintings. Well, he didn't isolate himself to women. He uh, abused crying. all sorts of people. Well, you know, that's it. Uh, how much do you... His staff, you know... No, the... no, he wasn't that bad. He loved his mother. Very really? important. Yeah. Mm. But look, this whole thing about of, of um, defining people by their paintings or their dogs is how you originally started. Well, where I was, where I was heading actually mm. was that uh, you could find paintings, I'm sure, which would make you think, "Well, I'd like to meet that person. That's mm. a person I would like mm. to meet." Mm. And uh, I was looking around for things that interest me and people that I would have liked to have met. And uh, I think. Um, Oh, now I'm going to forget his name, which well, is terrible. I'd like to meet you. Know, you know the guy who paints cats sitting on top of chests of drawers and... Uh, uh, they sound awful. Australian or... No, European. Mark, not Mark Chagall. Long dead. Well, let's come back for that yes. one, shall we? Yeah. Why don't we have a few messages from our sponsors <laughs> and we'll come back to that. that I'll remember his name. You'll remember I'd like by then, won't you? Yeah. Sorry, right. I forgot that. Hold on a sec. Currently, Mark, at the MPRG... Uh, there's the Andrew Hazelwinkle show uh, and a couple of big videos that are um, butted up against each other, sometimes married, sometimes separate, and uh, a set of really quite beautiful photographs yeah. uh, in a dark environment and uh, there is a mood in there and there's a feeling in there and there's a story being told. It's not, o- not often that you see a, a large work of art like that that relies a lot on abstract moving images that has a storyline that has a beginning, a finish and an end and Mm -hmm. very successfully, I think. And Andrew's on the phone and uh, I'm going to talk to Andrew about uh, the book that is going to uh, be launched in support of the exhibition. Would you call it a book, Andrew? Uh, yes, I would call it a book. Um, hello, hello, John. Welcome, Hi, welcome to Art Spout, <laughs> Andrew <laughs> Hayeswinkle. Nice to be here. Um, yes, I would call it a book, but I would call it an artist book, uh, which is slightly different from a traditional exhibition catalogue per se, and slightly different from other genres of books. Um, and I, I guess I, I've conceived of it as the third element in the show. Um, one being the large moving image work, the other the body of photographs, and then the third element being the little booklet, um, which has about 80 pages. Um, as, and that somehow between the three elements, the whole story is told. You're invited into the story through a number of ways, and in, in the, the book is its most declarative articulation. Can you tell us just briefly, can you, uh, can you synopsize the, sh- the story for us? Uh, the story, certainly. Um, it's a story that's quite 
known, um, certainly within Mornington. Um, I like to think that it kind of dwells under the collective psychic skin of Mornington in mm-hmm. a way. Um, and it's a, it's a tragedy that occurred. It unfolded on the waters between Mordialloc and Mornington on the night of the 21st of May, 1892, when... Um, the local football team, the Mornington football team, um, who had sailed up to Mordialloc to play a game against the Mordy Blood, um, were sailing back and they met with tragedy and all 15 people aboard lost their lives. Um, Which must have been absolutely shocking to the community at the well, time. It was, uh, the township of Mornington was a fledgling township at that period and I don't think there was anybody at all in in the township that didn't have a direct experience of profound loss. Um, What made that even more uh, tragic and difficult to deal with and um, in some ways is part of the reason why I believe the story continues to have this enduring vitality is that only four bodies were ever found. So there was this there's this great sense of disappearance as well, um, and that makes processing loss much, much harder, of course. Did, did they find um, the boat? I beg your pardon? Did they find the boat? Ah, uh, yes, the boat um, was found the following morning, um, submerged all but for about a metre of, of her bow. The boat was called the Process. She's a 28-foot fishing yawl, mm. um, and she... Uh, was found almost completely submerged, as I said, just a metre of her bow was kind of poking out of the water. And that was at a place called Pelican Reef. Um, most people, which is a, a small reef, which is just off Davies Bay in Mount Eliza. So most people um, would understand it as the waters of Davies Bay. And, and strangely, the vessel um, found it only a couple of hundred metres from the shore and the mm. one of another one of the reasons why it's the enduring vitality of the story continues is because it's difficult to comprehend that none of them could have swum it. ashore. Yes. But the people didn't, um, didn't swim. Uh, they weren't, there weren't that many competent swimmers in those days, were they? It really started in the 1900s, I think. Did it not? Or uh, Well, well there, there is that aspect mm. um, and there's a couple of other things that uh, contribute to the question's Uh, concerning that aspect of the story, and that is that looking at the Marine Board inquiries uh, from 1892 into the disaster and um, expert witnesses at the time from ranging from fishermen, from Mordialic expert um, professional fishermen in the bay Mm. and um, skippers and captains of other boats that were working the bay that night, we know a lot about the weather conditions that night, and we also... um, suspect from looking at the damage that was done to the rig of the boat um, that it, although the boat was found there, that's not where the accident occurred. Mm. Um, we don't have a precise location for where it occurred, but it makes sense given the wind conditions and the swell and the squalls coming through that night that she could have been pushed in to shore quite easily. Right. Um, and that's generally the perspective held by people like myself and others who have uh, investigated the story over the years. Andrew, I, uh, from what I've read, I understand that there was some gear breakage on the boat and that the rig had perhaps come down. 
which must have been terrifying for all on board, particularly in the middle of a squall. Um, yes. And I have to say that I've, I've been on a wooden fishing boat uh, with a, a gaff-rigged fishing boat where we broke a bowsprit and the, and the rig came down in a squall. Wow. And it is terrifying, mm. <laughs> I can assure you of it. Um, yeah. We were we didn't have 15 aboard and we were wearing life jackets, but the boat was immediately in trouble and uh, I can understand how difficult it must have been for those those men and how scary it must have been. So, Andrew, you've responded to this terrible tragedy. Obviously, we, we understand you're a local. You've grown up here, so this story has uh, has come to you as a, as a, you know, through local hearsay or, or and history, of course. But it's it's also come out of a time that you spent down at Point Nepean, isn't that right? Um, at Point uh, po- Police Point, I should say. Yeah, I mean Police Point is it, um, it, it, it abuts the quarantine station down mm-hmm. at Point Nepean. So I mean, I, I think of it as Point Nepean. Really, we're not right out on the point, but yeah. geographically, it's the same conditions, the same wonderful luminous conditions where you have um, light bouncing all around you. Um, as it reflects off two large bodies of water over a narrow strip of land. The the regional gallery, the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery, which commissioned the work, from they do one annual commission a year, and they approached me a number of, about three years ago, um, to to make a work, and I talked about wanting to make a work around this story. Um, along with that commission comes eight weeks down in the residency, the uh, studio that they have down there at Police Point, um, and it meant that I was able to spend extended... Uh, I mean, I don't live on, on the Mornington Peninsula any longer. I, I live um, closer to Melbourne, and uh, I'm down on the peninsula a bit, but not. I don't, haven't worked down there for a long time, and when mm-hmm. I say worked, I mean literally spent the days and the nights um, photographing, filming, um, drawing. I haven't done that for really since my adolescence, so it was a great opportunity to reconnect with the age that I had spent, the ages that I had spent down on the peninsula, which paralleled or mirrored the age of many of the young men who lost their lives. So it enabled me to reconnect with that, but also to importantly um, bring down many people who worked on the project, all sorts of creative practitioners worked on the project from kind of... um, videographers to editors to photographers, uh, people who I collaborated with. And I wanted them all to have the experience of um, working in that environment and being able to look out over the water and wherever possible to actually go out onto the water that took the lives of these young men in the hope that somehow, um, in a a way akin to kind of psychogeography, um, that somehow the landscape and the seascape would gently exert an influence on the creative practices of everybody that was working with me on the project. And therefore, somehow, the place itself would become infused into the work. Seems to have worked. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll pass that on to everybody. <laughs> no, no, it is. It, it's, a very, it's a lovely space to walk into, Andrew. It's a very, you know, that open space with, that, um, uh, with those beautiful photographs in the entrance. And then just to have that those massive um, two video screens together, it's quite. I mean, although I did get a little bit of vertigo, but I'm a, I'm a bit. Um, well, I mean, firstly, I, thank you for um, having such a positive response to the the stillness of work. Mm. I mean, uh, that's 
that was very important to me that there there was no noise that somehow it was a quiet uh, experience um, yeah. and whilst not mournful that it has uh, a sense of the elegiac about it there mm. is a there is a sadness in those rooms there is it's a meditation on loss and for me that kind of meditation can only occur in a stillness. So it was really important. Yes, it's um, something we don't get very often these days in, in exhibitions, especially you know, video exhibitions. There just seems to be so much noise going on. So it's lovely to have a bit of peace and silence. Uh, yeah, well, I, I guess um, the subject matter itself uh, does, called yes. for it in this instance. Mm. Um, and it was a great opportunity to work with such scale, which obviously is a large part of, the inducement of vertigo. Some other people have mentioned that, mm. and, I, and, mm. and I hope that wasn't too disorienting for you, but I do like the idea, and I have tried to make a work that gives people a sense of seasickness. Yes, no, exactly. no, it does work. I, I thought that might have been the case. I, I, I was uh, aware of that, so it, was, it worked very well. Andrew, we're running out of time. I just had okay. one last question for you. Did you live in the Caldwell Brothers house in Mornington, was it? Um, I didn't live in the the um, Caldwell family house, which is now um, the Andrew Kerr, the old structure of the Andrew Kerr home. But I lived just across the creek. There was uh, there's a little street called Caldwell Street, mm. and there's the first house that was built in there um, was the house that I grew up in. This house from yeah, 1906, I think it was, and um, I. The land belonged to Alice, and I knew that Alice Caldwell, the sister of the brothers who mm. wrote the book from which the exhibition takes its name, so her book being um, Love's Tribute or What the She Never Told, um, she, I thought that it had been, I, I thought when I started working on the project that it was her house. I knew that she had been unable to live in the family home uh, after the disaster because she was too aggrieved. Mm. So I knew that she had built another house and that she owned this land on the other side of the creek. Um, and as I was working on the project, I believed the whole way through that I was living in the house that she'd moved into to process her grief. Right. Um, there are questions now about whether that's actually the case or not. Mm. Um, so again, it's one of those questions that often surround up, yes. historical projects yes. and contribute to their enduring Vitality. Um, now, I believe you're also launching a publication, which you, you mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, yes. But it's going to be launched on the 21st of May, which is, I think, the anniversary of the disaster, isn't it? That's right. Um, um, it's next, next Monday, the 21st. And, uh, and you're going to be in conversation it, with the curator, Danny Lacey, but also, I think, a local build, a boat builder, Tim Phillips. Is that right? That's right. Master seaman and wooden boat expert Tim Phillips, who's well known around Port Phillip Bay and also Bass Strait. And, um, actually, the photographs that are in the exhibition I photographed whilst out sailing in Bass Strait with him for ten days. Oh. But um, back to the back to the book launch, the publication launch. We're we're having the conversation on that day um, to mark the anniversary, the 126th anniversary. But we're also doing it at the specific time that we'll be talking over the time at exactly the same time that the lads sailed out of Mordialic Creek. So part of the reason for doing that, rather than to spook people in any way, was so people can get a sense of what the weather might have been like. I mean, I know what the weather was like, but if it's a cold and wet and rainy night, mm. um, that will help people understand in a way 
um, what the conditions were like. And, and so you so, have Danny Lacey, the director yes. at Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery, Tim Phillips, wooden boat expert, and myself um, will be at the gallery from five. People should come down. People should book, actually. There's quite a, quite a number of people coming already, and they can do that at the gallery website. At 5pm for a drink and something delicious to nibble on, and then we'll start our conversation at 5.30 and it'll run till about 6.30. We're going to talk about the disaster specifically from a yachting perspective, so what actually happened to the boat. Okay. Fabulous. Uh, just one last thing, Andrew. What people don't uh, must remember is that there was no peninsula link in those days. And it used to take, <laughs> I think it used to take people two days to drive to, to get to Melbourne because they had to go via Dandenong because of all the marshes and everything which were on the, That's on, right. on the, mm. so the a boat was not a, you know, it wasn't a luxury trip. It was a, you know, necessi- it was necessary. Still takes me about two days. <laughs> <laughs> Picking the wrong times, John. Well, what the sea never told is on at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery until uh, July the 8th I think and uh, as uh, as Andrew uh, has just told us this fascinating talk is going to be on on the 21st details of course will be on the Mornington Peninsula Regional website's um, gallery's website and I'll put a link on our Facebook page. Thanks so much for talking to us today Andrew Hayes Wenkul Thank you, it's been a pleasure Thanks Andrew. I hope to see you on the 23rd Yes, I'll be there. Bye Bye The fabulous Lou Reed yeah, Lou Reed is fabulous. He sure is. Uh, someone else is fabulous. Who's that? Mark Stewart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Sally. Um, so to the field. Yes. Mm. And uh, the inaugural exhibition of the NGV yeah, in 1968 so just stroll out of has the choir. been resurrect- resurrected, mm. but not in the NGV. It was in Fed Square, yeah. which is... I thought it was a little bit bizarre. Yes, it was a bit bizarre. Because, wasn't it? Yeah, but the NGV is the Gallery for International Art, <laughs> and the Fed Square is the Gallery for the Australian rules. Art. Really? Yeah. Weren't there any international artists in that show? It was only Australian? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Robert Jacks, was he considered international? No, no I think it's... Robert, Robert no, Jacks no, 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 in Ballarat. I think it's definitely uh, all Australian. Yeah. The field Still, they, I mean, they, they put they, the tinfoil back up. They put the tinfoil, which was Andy Warhol. You know, he's the first one to do that in his... his and they, they may have been... They may have come from other countries, but they, they were had become Australian. Okay. All right, well, look, I, I didn't... I mean, the problem was I walked to NGV and now yeah, where it was. Yeah, you're just complaining you went to the wrong gallery. Exactly. Anyway, it was a beautiful show, mm. except for those poor Do you uh, think? P- paintings. Yes, I think it was. The poor mm. paintings of um, the guy who was working in silver, because his silver on silver didn't... <laughs> you couldn't yeah. see anything. Yeah, some of it was lost. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the rest of it was very beautiful, especially... Um, Ron Robertson Swan. I didn't know oh, he was a painter. Yes. I yes, thought he was only a sculptor. Right. Yes. I've never seen his paintings. I reckon a lot of it made me feel like I was in the pancake parlour, actually. Yeah, but that's. I agree that, that there are quite a few that didn't grab me at all either. Mm. Well, look, I'm I'm sorry to say that um, I didn't feel like I was in a pan, pan, pan what do you call it? Pan pancake parlour. Pancake parlour, you know, with its cut-out yeah. signs. And uh, it reminded me of my first visit to the lurid museum. Lurid colours. Yeah, of modern art in New York when mm. I saw the big abstract expressionist paintings right. for the first time. It was just blown out by these the extraordinary thoughts coming from these paintings. But that, it's about scale as much that, as it... I know. This is the yeah. thing. It was about scale because it meant you could you, you could walk into them, but you know, some of them, even in, in the little photograph in the Art in America magazine, looked pretty amazing. So, 
And I have a theory, Mark, okay. which is that that kind of scale is often ruined by the hard edge. Hard edge paintings destroy the concept of scale in paintings. So if they're loosely painted and large, you can, as you say, walk into them. But a hard-edged, large painting, to me, just Such looks as, like a like who? Like a sign. No, well, Barnett Newman's fairly loosely painted, even though it's only one line. Mm. He doesn't make hard edges of it. Well, there are. There, he has a, the, em, the empty space behind. I mean, the the, the background is just a colour, and then he has a line down the centre, yeah, which is ready. Which ready, is not which often would... squeezed out of a tube. Mm. Anyway, I think they work very well, large. The other thing I mm. think that's really fascinating about it is what it what it says about what was going on at the time. Well, this is, because this it is, must have been a completely different exhibition to the one that we're looking at now in a way because we're reacting to it so completely different. It would have been almost shocking probably at well, the this time. Is, this is why um, I think it was Rembrandt said, don't be stuck in your time. And it's true that a lot of these paintings, just as when you look at 60s sculpture, they're all stuck in their time and they look very similar to each There's other. There's an element of me too about it, I reckon, that the, the Australian painters... Is that painters, the hashtag or...? No, yeah. the Australian painters saw the American Ab-X show that came out to Australia mm-hmm. and then responded with their own um, colour yeah, field sure. exhibition. I can't remember. I, I don't know what it was called. Yeah, you, yeah. you said but something there's like Abex or... Uh, there's another one yeah. coming up in yeah. June, which is called the Master Works from MoMA, because they must be doing renovations. It's coming out on the 9th to the 6th. Um, and what's going to be June. in that? Well, Masterpieces from MoMA. What do you think? Anyway. Oh, nothing Rothko, in particular. Rothko, yes. Jackson oh. Pollock. I did. It'll be a very good show. It'll be interesting to see in comparison to what the, what the field show is. I have to say, I did enjoy it. I liked walking around in there. I felt a little kind of uncomfortable at times because of that whole kind of cut-out sign thing that was annoying me. Mm. But I saw some stuff in there that I haven't seen for a long time and that I really enjoyed. I think Clement Meadmore uh, is, without a doubt, Australia's finest sculptor. Mm. Which one did he do? His, his sculpture, which is the uh, knot, which yeah. is down at South Bank on the oh on the yes there, yes, which the was pieces of it looks like extruded um, rectangular steel. Yeah, it's a knot yeah. basically, or, or it's a, like a Mobius strip. Yes. Interestingly, the, the Meadmore family had a lot to do with the pancake parlor. I know that, John. <laughs> that was afterwards, but before he was an aeronautical and engineer. Yeah, so he mm. he studied you. Know, Space and and his metals. He's, I wouldn't call him the best sculptor in Australia. Oh, that's I think another, I think he is without I think a doubt. Robert Clipple's way up there. Mm-hmm. The uh, collector, Robert Clipple, was kind of he collected things and okay. turned them into sculpture. Right, but that's another a subject for another day because yeah. I'll, I'll have to get back to. Well, okay. you know, I can't wait to open you up on sculpture because yes. you know quite a lot about I it. I do. So to finish with the Rob, um, Robert Jacks was also very good. And now the, the guy who I really liked, who's in the Mo, um, Mornington Gallery, George yes. George Sanders, is it? Or George, um, he's a painter. Sorry, to be in here. Oh yes, because of course there is an exhibition on have, currently yeah, at, well, at Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery. They, yes, they brought out three of their paintings right. from their stock of the same period. And yes. they have one of this guy who's 92 now, George something. You should know him. Um, and a very beautiful painting. It's worthwhile going to the exhibition before you go to see the Andrew Hazelwinkle. Um, oh, in the foyer. In the foyer. Yeah. And it's quite quite beautiful. You know, it, it's it's not a difficult thing 
some paintings, you know, they, they do stand out because they just work very well and, and there can be so much rubbish around. Well, in much the same way that Von Gerard was interested in science as well as art, I think a lot of uh, hard-edge abstract painting is to do with the science of, uh, of colour mm. and composition, you know, and uh, they do, they can move you in different ways, they can make you feel different things and uh, they definitely look fantastic on the wall of a 1960s house. And I think that Robert Hunter's work actually, ironically, because everybody calls them white paintings, which in fact they're not entirely no. white paintings, I think that's what he's playing with. I think he is playing with colour and perception and how you respond to... And you know, also uh, the amount of attention you're prepared to give something. He mm. used to say that uh, that if you if you bury the image in a, in a monochromatic surface... Uh, then people have to look closely in order to see what's there, and that's right. what he wanted from his audience. He wanted them. Yeah. He wanted them to inspect the paintings because there are those ones that are that are grid, grids, which are the white with with the cotton line on them. Yeah. But they're almost like little folds in the corner where you can see colour. Oh, yeah, you can yeah, see the yeah. red and blue in those yeah. tiny. And that's really really clever, I think. From the back, because or you see them. The back, yes, yeah. you see them only if, because you were drawn so far into it. Mm. Mm. Look, it'd be interesting to know what um, people you know, between in their twenties and thirties think of this sort of show. That's what, what I'd like to. Yeah, know. I think how, that's. How, a, that's it would be interesting respond, whether yeah. they get anything from it. Mm. I mean, you, you know how uh, traveling through Europe when you're going into some of the older museums, you can get so much from the medieval um, sculpture and painting. You can mm. get so much up until the you know, the 20th century. You get really well fed. Are they being well fed by the nourished by this sort of work? There'd be plenty of people around who would be able to articulate how they feel about it who were born after those paintings were well after those paintings were on exhibition at the mm. NGV. Mm. Yeah. All right, well we'll see. Yeah. Do you know any young people, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I've tried to, but they're all very busy and they're right. so busy looking at their phones they can't get to the exhibition. So um I'll keep trying. Yeah. And um, now, did you hear that uh, Marina Abramovich and her partner of many years and then ex-partner of many years are coming together Ule. again to do Ule, that's right, to, to create a book, Sounds a like retrospective a cream, of their work? It? Yes, it does sound like a face cream. <laughs> Uh, yes, he must need the money. Well, pop, yes, I possibly. mean, there was that lovely image when he came to the uh, moment when she was doing that last show. The artist show. is the present. The artist is, is present, and she, he comes up, and they, you know, they both got Which, interestingly, I read, I, and I have But they did separate over money. That was, because yes. she's a millionaire. You know, she yes. lives in a lovely but, um, apartment in Paris. They had, they had done a piece, a performance piece, that was like that initially. Yes, yeah. Which I hadn't realised at the time. China, they, when they're yeah. walking from one end to No, the, where they sat what, staring at each other okay. in chairs. Mm-hmm. Many years before she did artist in, is present, okay. and so that was a it was a revisiting almost of her work. Well, no relationship's going to survive that. No, gosh, no, 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 no. Staring into each other's eyes for a very yeah, long time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Um, and how are you going with your feminist book? I keep meaning to ask. Camilla Pallia. Yes. Uh, look, she's a very good writer. It's very much a, um, but a lot of them are just essays that she'd written in the 90s and early 2000s, mm-hmm. all about fem- feminism. A lot of the things which are going on now were happening already then. Yeah. And she was arguing both 
for and against. But she's definitely not a feminist who um, she's you know she's really uh, argues against feminism in many ways. Yes. And are you enjoying the book? You were you were suggesting that you the, really like. I enjoy it. her writing. It gets a little bit percussive. She's you know, it's one yeah. sentence after sentence, very sort of American percussive writing, which is. Um, great but it can get a little tiring you need a panadol after a few pages <laughs> <laughs> okay well all right then. Good. that's good to know mm. anything else uh, the archibald now oh, the archibald is, yes. is yvette uh, coppersmith yeah. one she was in rachel griffiths made a very good documentary last year uh for sbs it was about three three shows i think and she was one of the artists she was talking to she did the painting of Gillian, uh, the woman for the human rights um woman uh, oh um but yes, no. name, yeah, who was all about the um, it was all Triggs, Triggs, Triggs. Yes. That's the one. Sorry, and mm. she did the, she did the same thing as she did this year. Apparently, she because she wanted to paint um, the New Zealand Prime Minister, and yeah. she refused, mm-hmm. and so she did a painting of herself, and it was no good. So in the last week, she ripped out another painting, which is exactly what she did last year. Uh, I find the painting. I must agree with Christopher Allen, my good friend. It is absolutely. Badly painted, as was the Packers Prize, the, the Jimmy Barnes. Oh, the thing. Jimmy Barnes one. It was a really bad painting, but yeah, at least. Yeah, like uh, other of them, and, I have to you know, say. They've gone, once again, it's woman, Aboriginal woman. So, you know, it's, uh, it, that's what the Archibald's all about. It's about uh, pandering to the, to the. To I the, think woman, the, Aboriginal, Aboriginal woman. Well, I'm not sure. Are they? Well, look. Yeah, and the Sulman Prize, uh, you know, awarded by, uh, the judge, who uh, is a you know, Pacific Islander woman, and as far as I'm concerned, may as well have been the Hawaiian ping pong champion. That's right. She's the one that you called that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, look, we can't we, we can't be grumpy old white no. men. No. Look, there are, are. There, there are redeeming. I'm not. No, Hello, you're, I'm not no, a no, you're a grumpy old woman. But um, there are redeeming <laughs> features of the the Archibald Prize winner. And uh, for me, the redeeming feature is that if you're going to channel an Edwardian artist, George Lambert's your man. Yeah. Oh, and do you think that's who she's channeling? Yeah, but did yeah. you see? Oh, is it? Yeah. No, she did. She said so in the style of George Lambert. Oh, did she? Yeah. No. And it's in the title of it. In the title of it. Oh. And it's also, you, know, you see, she's used violet and yellow, the, you know, the contrast right. which are typically of that period. I just find it the most tediously boring yeah, once again. Tedious. And, you know, when you look at, um, what was the name of that South Australian painter and his daughter, who's very good, Manaford or Heatherford or something? Robert Hannaford. Hannaford. Did a brilliant painting. As did the uh, Nicholas Harding, an amazing self-portrait. But look, you know, yep. expect. Yeah, mm. there's, 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 there's always an agenda. Not, it's pas terrible, not even terrible. Not even Whereas terrible. Whereas at least the, the Packers Prize was. Hark. It's time for the news. We've only got about a couple of minutes. Uh, don't forget that the Spoken Word and Poetry Festival is on 17th of May, which has just passed, uh, through to 3rd of June. There's venues everywhere. Go to their website for details. Siobhan Kelly's exhibition Survey will be opening at Antipodes on July the 15th. It's opening. Yeah, it's open. It's 15th. opening until July the 15th. It says until, oh, until July the 15th. Mm. I'm sorry. Forgive me. <laughs> Andrew Hayeswinkle's multimedia show called What the Sea Never Told. It's a very beautiful show on yeah. MPRG until July the 8th and also the launch of the book of works, the conversation between Andrew, Tim Phillips and creator Danny Lacey, which is what, uh, Monday, next Monday, the 21st of May. The 21st, yes. I think it's, a, I'm not sure what day it is actually. I'll put a link on our Facebook page for that yeah. because that'll be Truly fascinating. And the MPG, M- MPRG itself has uh, delved into its own collection to uncover a series, a couple of s- uh, selection, 
I think you said just three, Mark. Yes, yeah. there were three things. Abstract works from the years following the field exhibition. So that would be quite interesting as well. Matthew Fagan is playing with Nicholas Young. España, the spirit of Spain, El Vito, on Sunday the 27th May of St, at St John's in Flinders. Tickets on even uh, Eventbrite. And that, then there's this long kind of unpunctuated series of letters. I'll put a link on our Facebook page, right. be fair, fear not. <laughs> um, uh, the Art Gallery of Ballarat has Eugene von Gerard's Artist Traveller. That's just going on for another couple of weeks. They're definitely worth seeing. Do yes, not miss we, that we, show. we really loved it. Uh, the Field Revisited is at the NGV at Fed Square until whenever? Uh, and, three. yeah. And, and either, it kind of either ends things, the field exhibition, because there's the uh, colony exhibition on in the same building. You yes. Know. Yes, and of course there's the survey of Robert Hunter there mm. too. Um, the Southern Peninsula players are presenting The Vicar of Dibley until the 27th of this month, directed by Keith Gledhill. Book tickets through right. their website. On the TV? No, 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 no. It's a, it's a local production, of, you know, from the Southern Peninsula Players. Right. Now, and also the ninth annual cabaret festival is coming, uh, and their tickets are on sale soon uh, on their website. If you've just tuned in, you've missed Arts About. But you can catch up with the repeat on Wednesdays at 12 or listen to the podcasts on the station website. We'll be on again same time next Sunday, and you can find links to some of the things that we've been talking about and also find out what's coming up on the next program if you go to our Facebook page. And uh, you can also podcast from... Uh, if you go to the Facebook page, I've got a new podcast address, which mm. is a lot more user-friendly for everybody. So remember, everybody, we may not know everything about art. We know what we like, and uh, Balthus was the name I was Balthus. trying to think of. Balthus, very yeah. good. Yes, I met his son. I'd like to meet him. Uh, he's way gone, yeah. but uh, he was Polish. Was he? Yep. Oh, well. Turned himself into a Swiss count. Excellent. Mm.